We'll continue with our study of this 21st chapter of our confession. And we'll, I want to try to save a little bit of time for us to do some flipping and um, Bible drill type stuff later and look at several different passages. And so I'll, I'll wait until we get there to read any scripture. This morning we spoke of the unspeakable joy that awaits us at Christ's return, which as I said is a great hope for every saint. And throughout the New Testament we see that this is a great hope consistently set forth for the people of God. But one of the great blessings of the Christian life is that we don't have to wait to begin to experience the blessings of salvation. We have joys now. We can rejoice now. Why? Because Emmanuel has come. We, we've already received the salvation of Christ and we've already received the liberties which He purchased for us in His death and resurrection. And so that's what we've been talking about in our study the confession is the doctrine of Christian liberty. And so I want to read this first the first couple of lines of this paragraph, and I'm going to try to leave out the stuff that we've already studied and just skip to the part that we're going to look at this evening. The liberty which Christ hath purchased for believers under the gospel consists in their being delivered from this present evil world, bondage to Satan, and dominion of sin. Now, I want to take all three of these phrases together under three headings. Number one, explanation. Number two, association. And then number three, emancipation. So, so number one, what exactly is being discussed here? I just want to try to explain the terms. And then secondly, association. How are these three concepts related or associated? And then emancipated. How have we been liberated from these things. The liberty with Christ, which Christ hath purchased for believers under the gospel consists in their being delivered from this present evil world, bondage to Satan, and dominion of sin. As a disclaimer, before we start, the subject matter that we're about to cover is vast, and it really permeates more of the scriptures than we could even begin to cover in a lecture or multiple lectures. And that being the case, there's some of the statements that I'm going to make that could, I think, certainly justify more explanation. But since the purpose is to walk through this confession and not so much exegete every pertinent passage, I'm just going to read text and we're going to look at several passages, reference many passages, but I'm not going to try to really deal with all of them in as much detail as they could, uh, they, they, they deserve, really. Um, so if, if I'm saying things and you think, that, that, I, I want to hear more of that, or I need some explanation of that, I understand. So first, an explanation. As we usually do, I just want to walk through the words here and make sure that we're clear about the subject matter, what's being talked about. And we have three distinct phrases, so we'll take them one by one. First, Christ has purchased for believers are being delivered from this present evil world. And this is straight from Galatians 1.4. 
and our confession, if you have one with the references, actually references Galatians 1.4, which refers to Christ, and it says that He gave Himself for our sins to deliver us, and the, the ESV translates it from the present evil age. If you have the King James, it'll say the present evil world. This is the language of our confession taken straight from that verse. Now we might wonder what is the difference between world and age and does it really matter when it comes into English? Uh, The word word ion can be translated world or age. Very often when we see the word world, it's the word cosmos, which is never translated age, but the word ion can go either way. Now, uh, what I'm trying to do is compare these two ideas because they're, they're different, but they're very related. Sometimes the, the, the word cosmos is neutral, and then sometimes that word cosmos, translated world, is viewed from a negative connotation as we've seen as we've looked through the Revelation. And I've pointed to 1 John, the world and the things that are in the world are not of the Father, from the Father. That's the negative connotation of the, the idea of the cosmos. And the same, that same thing is true for the term ion that's often translated age. Sometimes it's neutral, sometimes it's negative, sometimes it's positive, depending on the qualifiers that might be around it. Now, in our confession, we have the phrase, present evil age. So we don't have to wonder, is this positive, is this neutral? This is clearly a negative connotation. Both cosmos, often translated world, and ion, sometimes also translated world, in a negative sense, both refer to the same thing from different perspectives. I'm going to explain that. The, the word cosmos refers to the order, the, the system, the methodology of the world opposed to God. As I've said on Sunday mornings, you hear the word cosmos, you might hear cosmetic or cosmetology. The idea is order, structure, arrangement, adornment. Those are the ideas that come along with that word. It's it's talking about the system opposed to God. The word ion, most of us have probably heard the term eons, eons of eons, that's an English term. This refers to time, the time of the methodology, the time in which the world is opposed to God. Cosmos is the system itself. Ion or age is, is a reference to a period or a length of time. Now, In the New Testament, the the whole scheme of redemptive history moving into the eternal state is set forth for us in two ages. This age and the age to come. And you very often see them set side by side. This age and the age to come. This age is passing away. The age to come is forever. This age is characterized by the evil order of things, cosmos, the world, opposed to God. In the age to come, there is no evil. In the sons of this age, marry and are given in marriage. Those who attain to that age and to the eternal life do not marry, but they are like the angels in heaven. There's a a difference, a comparison. So when we see this phrase, this present evil age, we're talking about the current time after the fall into sin, preceding the return of Christ in which sin continues to wreak havoc amongst men, 
and yet God's patience remains for the salvation of men. That's the present evil age. In Ephesians 6.12, Paul refers to it as this present darkness. That doesn't sound good. Now, when we hear all of that, we might begin to think, so if we've been... If we've been delivered from the present evil age, and that's a reference to time, then that must, be, that must mean that we've been taken out of time. Well, let me show you one more reference. Because that isn't the only way that this idea of aeon or ion or, or age can be taken. A very well-known passage in Ephesians chapter 2. Paul's talking about those who are dead in trespasses and sins. And he says they're following the course of this world. Now, in the original, it says that they're following the ion of this cosmos. Which, if we kept to these translations, it would be they're following the age of this world. Well, that kind of could sound confusing. The idea is that this age, this present time, is being viewed in relation to what spiritual or moral traits characterize it as a way of life. And that's why it's most often translated in in most English translations. It's it's the course, the way that, that, that mankind lives at the present time is the course of this world. The unregenerate man simply goes along with the general character of the world, and, he, and Paul continues there, following the prince of the power of the air, following the devil. That, that is this present evil age. The present time, and the primary trait which characterizes it as a way of life, evil. It's a, it's a present evil age. That's this age. But remember, there is an age to come. But again, when we're talking here about being freed from or delivered from the present evil age, we don't have to think, well, that only means something that's going to happen in the future because this is something that we've been freed from now. Secondly, there's bondage to Satan. Now, when you read that phrase, bondage to Satan, there are several implications. Satan has... Power. Satan has power of restraint or constraint upon people. Men are by nature under that power, the power of the, the, the constraining power of Satan. We know that Satan has a kingdom. We've done this before, Matthew 12, 26. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? His domain of influence. He has a kingdom. In Ephesians 2, 2 again, he's called the prince of the power of the air. In 2 Corinthians, he's called the God of this world, the God of this ion, the God of this age. And here the confession points us to Acts 26, 18, which says that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. The lost Gentiles here are described as being under the power of Satan. So bondage to Satan, this is a little easier, means living under the constraining influences of Satan. Subject to the deception, his deceptive schemes, useful by him to serve his purposes, a citizen of his domain, which is the domain of darkness. That's what it means to be in bondage to Satan. And then thirdly, there is the dominion of Sin, or living under the power of sin. We have phrases like this, Romans 7, 14. I am of the flesh, sold under sin. Romans 3, 9. We have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. 
What does that mean? Well, sin, remember, is not just an idea, but, but it is an actual human malady that exists in every individual person and will manifest itself in, in various ways. To be under the dominion of sin is to be like a slave constrained by your sin, your sinful lusts. Again, the dominion of sin, I'm not under the dominion of your sin. It's my sin, my, my problem, my sins. It's to be bound to obey your carnal lusts. To be under sin, hear this, means that you're living in every area of your life being driven by your own passions. That's the dominion of sin. Now let's look at some texts here. I want you to see this, and, and if you're writing your Bible, you can even mark these. When I, when I looked at this litany altogether, it, it really had a startling impact upon me. So Ephesians 2, turn there. We've referenced it, now we'll, we'll go on to Ephesians 2, 3. And we know that this section is describing the state of natural men as they move from dead in trespasses to alive in Christ, from lost to saved. And notice how lost men are described. Verse 3, "...among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh." What does that mean? Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. So prior to regeneration, we lived in the passions of our flesh. We carried out the desires of the body and mind. And when you see those things side by side, very, it's, it's easy to understand. Body is physical body, mind the intellect, and, and may even go further into the, the inner workings of the will. So prior to our regeneration, our natural, physical passions or physical lusts, as we walk through these, we're going to see the, the word passions a lot. The, the word lust is the same word in all of them. It's interchangeable. Prior to regeneration, our natural physical passions or lusts were what drove us as well as our carnal way of thinking. That's, that's how you're, you're steered apart from Christ. What do you have to work with? Well, you've, you've got a physical body that has desires and appetites and then you've got a carnal mind and that's, that, that you, you go with that. That's what drives you. Now look at Ephesians 4.22. Just flip the page. Now he's encouraging the saints and he says to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is. Now I, I think I would probably argue a little bit with the translation here but all, all we need to look at is old self and then and is corrupt. The old self is corrupt through deceitful desires. The manner of life of your old self was going by deceitful desires, lusts, passions, the cravings of the flesh. That's how the unregenerate man 
lives his life, however uh, pious he might sound, whatever great deeds he might perform that the world you know, gets together and claps and they say, that, that's an honorable man. If he is apart from Christ, he's merely doing what his, his sinful lusts are driving him to do. And it's, it's for him. He's driven by his deceitful desires, his lusts, his passions. Galatians 5. We just looked at this not too long ago. Galatians 5.16. Again, talking to believers. He says, walk by the Spirit. That's how you need to live now. And you will not gratify what? The desires of the flesh. What's opposed to the Spirit? The desires, the lusts of the flesh. What is the flesh? Tracing, putting all of these things together, it's the old self, as we'll see in Romans, the old man. And specifically, the lusts, going back to Ephesians 2, of your mortal body, your physical body and your carnal mind. He says, for believers, don't live that way. You walk by the Spirit. Now Romans 6.12. We'll look at this one. Talking to believers again, and we'll see in a minute that this is the, the conclusion of a teaching. But he says, and, and you see that with the word therefore, Romans 6.12, Let not sin therefore reign, where? In your mortal body, to make you obey its passions. So what does it look like for sin to reign? It looks like... It has dominion over your mortal body. It looks like living to obey the passions or lusts of the mortal body. Doesn't sound very spiritual, does it? It just sounds like doing what you feel like you ought to do. Going with the way of the world and, and your own carnal lusts. 1 Peter 4. Another one. 1 Peter 4, 1 and 2. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Now, we could ask, what does it look like here to cease from sin? It's not sinless perfection. What does it look like to cease from sin? It looks like ceasing to live for human passions, human lusts, the lusts of man, the cravings of your Adamic nature. And then 2 Peter 1, 4. And this, this verse could really summarize this whole point of in the confession he speaking of god has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped that's liberty been set free having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire or sinful lusts the christians have escaped 
the corruption of the world. They've been liberated from the corruption of the world. Well, why is there corruption in the world? Because of sinful desire, sinful lust, sinful passions, carnal cravings of the flesh. It's not th- th- these, uh, this corruption in the world is not a dark cloud that just floats around the world. No, it's the people who are gratifying the cravings of their flesh. We know the, the triad, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the boastful pride of life. That's mankind under the dominion of sin. He lives to gratify his flesh, his lusts. He's driven by his physical body and his corrupt mind. That is the fundamental character of the Adamic humanity. Driven and constrained by the lusts of his flesh. That's the dominion of sin. So we have the present evil world. We have bondage to Satan. We have the dominion of sin, your sinful lust. Now, second heading. These are distinct, but they're intricately woven together, so we need to consider their association. Most of us have heard the phrase, the world, the flesh, and the devil, right? We've heard that. That's exactly what's being described here, although the terminology is a little more precise. But it's the same picture. And when we see how these things are associated then we'll be able to see how Christ has given us liberty, not just from one of them, but from all of them. And the best way to do that, I think, is to look at them in sort of a reverse order. How is the dominion of sin associated with bondage to Satan? How is bondage to Satan associated with the present evil age? And then how is the present evil age associated with our dominion of sin? So that's what we're going to do. So beginning with the dominion of sin and its association with bondage to Satan, the dominion of sin and its association with bondage to Satan. Now, when it comes to our sin, like I said this morning, we have these extremes. We're always, it seems like going back and forth. But when it comes to our sin, there is this tendency of, for some to give Satan too much credit. We've talked about this. And so for this group of people, every sinful thought in them is the devil trying to attack them trying to cause them to have a bad day. And if they actually carry out a sinful action, they justify themselves by saying, well, the devil just got the best of me. As if they are morally neutral agents just hanging out, I was doing fine, and then boom, the devil just showed up and and, and they justify themselves with that. It's just the devil. The devil made me do it. Well, the other extreme is to give the devil no credit at all as if he's just a figment of our imaginations, that he has no power, he has no abilities, he's not really an enemy, and, you know, these kind of people, you know, well, maybe this is a mixture of this group, but, you know, they declare things, and when they're praying, they pray to the devil, Satan, you have no power over me today, and and things like that, you know. Well, neither of those is correct. Those are extremes. We have to understand that there is a scriptural middle ground that makes a direct association between our being under the dominion of sin and are being in bondage to Satan. And I think it's illustrated well in a single text in Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Now, several things we notice here. First, we are commanded, do not sin. Sin, in this verse, would be letting the sun go down on your anger. Now, who is responsible to obey that command? It's me. 
We are responsible for our sins. And so if you let the sun go down on your anger, that's your sin. You did it. God in His Word said, don't do that. But you did it. You sinned. Now, James says in James 4.1, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? In other words, why is everybody getting angry? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Those same lusts? Why would you be angry unless your passions are at war? You're being driven by your lusts. Your lusts. You're the sinner. If the sun goes down, it's on, on your anger because it's your sin. It's your fault. Okay, secondly, we are also commanded, give no opportunity to the devil. So if you sin by obeying your passions, then you give opportunity to the devil. What's the point? Well, the devil... Satan cannot add anything to your repertoire of sins. He doesn't come and make you sin. He doesn't inject you with sins. What he does do is take advantage of your fleshly desires, what's already in you. And then he attacks at just that point. He takes the opportunities that are presented to him by your sin. You did it, but you gave him the opportunity. So if someone is under the dominion of sin, then they are by default in bondage to Satan. They're driven by their carnal lusts. They're only ever capable of sin. So then they are always opening themselves up as an opportunity for the devil. And apart from Christ, the unregenerate man has no power to reject those temptations. The devil doesn't have to come and say, hey, I'm the devil and I'm going to make you do something real bad now. No, he just says... Go on. That's your lust. Go on. You're good. Go. Follow it. Chase it. Go. Pursue it. That's all he has to do. He he takes that opportunity. So that's the relationship between bondage to Satan, or the dominion of sin and bondage to Satan. What's the relationship between bondage to Satan and the present evil world? Or the present evil age? Well, during the present time, Mankind remains under the curses and penalty of the fall into sin. That means all men are born under the headship of Adam and we are by nature sinners. And at the same time, in the present evil age, God has not brought the final judgment and destruction upon sin and Satan yet. And so right now, sin remains man's natural character. Satan remains man's primary enemy And those are essential elements to the present evil age. Mankind, sin, and Satan. So the present evil age is the temporal stage upon which this bondage to Satan is manifested because this is the time. This is where it happens. This is the period of mankind under the dominion of sin and therefore in bondage to Satan. A few texts here. 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, we've already seen this. The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. The word is ion. We could say age. Satan is, in a sense, the present ruler of this age. This age is the age of, of blinding unbelievers. The devil has a temporal, we might call it a local dominion now, under God, of course. This is the age where he carries that carries that out where he works. 1 Peter 5.8, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He won't do that in the age to come. That's this age that he does this. He, and he seeks 
to devour based on our fleshly desires, which I'll show you in just a few minutes. Those fleshly desires, they won't exist in the age to come. It's this present evil age in which Satan prowls, in which Satan works. Ephesians 2, 2 again. He's called the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. He's now at work. But at the end of the age, the sons of disobedience are going to be cast into hell along with the devil. And therefore, bondage to Satan, that is his ability to to enact this bondage, will end with the present evil age. Not until then. That's an important point. The age of bondage to Satan is this age. The only other age there is, is the age to come. And in that age, the devil has been cast into hell. They both exist together, the bondage of Satan and this present evil age. The end of one means the end of the other. And then what's the, the relationship between the present evil world and the dominion of sin. Well, like the last point, it is the present evil age which serves as the temporal stage upon which our dominion or the dominion of sin is manifested in men. Remember, the present evil age isn't merely a time frame. It's the predominant character of the whole age as evil. To be evil is to follow the course of this world. And that's in individual men. The present age is overwhelmingly evil in its most prominent traits so that this age is the age where the dominion of sin is seen in people. This age is the stage in the age to come the dominion of sin is gone in mankind. In the age to come, sin will be destroyed. Listen to several more references in the Lord's parable in Matthew 13. Verse 22, he says, The cares of the world choke the word. That word world, ion. The cares of the age choke the the word. The concerns of the present time choke out the word. That's not going to be so in the age to come. But right now, the cares of the world. Notice it doesn't say the temptation to go worship at the temple of Diana necessarily. It merely says the cares of the present time. The present age can choke out the Word. In Romans 12, 2, we're commanded, do not be conformed to this world. Ion, age. Don't be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Don't be conformed to their pattern. Don't be pressed into the mold of this age. Why? Because this age is an evil one. The course of this world is evil. Paul told Timothy, 2 Timothy 4.10, Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. Ion, age. He's in love with this age. He's in love with the things men do now. He's in love with those things which characterize the present age. The age of Antichrist. The age of Babylon. Demas, he just wanted to continue in the course of the world. It doesn't say Demas ran off into some rank paganism or or psychopathic murderous rebellion. It just says he's in love with the present age. He wants that. And so he deserted me. It's simply following one's natural desires. 
doing your own thing, following your own passions. Now keep all that in mind and I'll, I'll read Ephesians 2, 1 to 3, a little slower, and think about all of these terms and this idea here. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the ion of this cosmos, following the prince of the power of the air, following the devil, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. The unregenerate man follows the course of the world. He's following the devil. What does it look like really to follow the devil? Paul says, following the passions of your flesh, carrying out the desires of the mind. What is Satanism? Living according to the desires of your flesh. I feel like doing this, I'll do it. This would be good now, I'm doing it. I think I would like this, I'm doing it. Your flesh calling the shots, your physical body and your carnal mind directing you and you just going the way it takes you, that is Satanism according to the New Testament. So this present age is the age where the dominion of sin is still exercised amongst the sons of disobedience as they follow the prince of the power of the air. They're in bondage to Satan. They're all connected, you see. Now knowing this, I could ask, does that mean then that we're victims of our circumstances? I mean, we're, we were born into this present evil age. No. What is the hook in each of us that gives Satan the opportunity for dominion in this present evil age? It's our sin. My sinful lusts in me. So then thirdly, emancipation. The confessional assertion and the biblical teaching is that Christ has delivered us from all of that. Not just one, but all of them. Now, How, how so? I'll read this statement and then I'll unpack it. How, how has Christ set us free? By setting us free from the dominion of sin. He sets us free from the bondage of Satan. And therefore, we are delivered from the present evil age. Now notice I, I did not say out of the present evil age with regard to time and space. As Paul says, you cannot go out of the world. That's not what happens now, although that will come in the future. But we've been delivered from the present evil age with regard to our spiritual nature and overall disposition. Now this will go, the first one will be longer and then the others just sort of trail along behind it very simply. Christ has set us free from the dominion of sin. The dominion of sin is the constraint that all men are under by nature to live according to the desires of their flesh and their carnal minds. Again, it doesn't have to be, I feel like blatantly murdering someone, but... If the thoughts of hatred well up in my heart, well, that's just, what I, that's just how I feel. And that's just how I'm going to treat this person. That is the idea. Just living according to the desires of your flesh and your carnal minds. As Christians, we've been set free from that by Christ. The Adamic humanity and its traits, which are preeminently the dominion of sin, is what Paul calls the old man. Or the old self. 
Now Romans 6, we can turn there, is a pertinent passage here. Paul's answering the question, could we not just continue in sin that grace may abound? He's answering that question. And his answer is to show that that idea is absurd if you're a believer. Why is it? Because we're no longer under the dominion of sin. Verse 6 of Romans 6, We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. That's a period. One who has died has been set free from sin. And take this and lay it alongside of the passage we read in uh, uh, 1 Peter 4, parallel passages. One who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we'll also live with Him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God and He comes back to us. You also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, what's he saying? To, to get to the point of, and the relevance of this, this statement, the old man, the old self, the old humanity in Adam was crucified with Christ. That old man was under the dominion of sin. But guess what? He's dead now. That's gone. Therefore, the believer who is in union with Christ is dead to sin. Because of Christ's death and through our union with Christ, we are no longer under the dominion of sin. We're not bound to be driven through life by the lusts of the flesh and carnal thinking as unregenerate men are. Unregenerate men make almost all of their decisions, well, I should say all of their decisions, based on the lusts of the flesh and carnal thinking. But the Christian, he's dead to sin. He's not enslaved to that anymore. The old man was crucified with Christ. Now he can be driven by something else, namely the Spirit of God. As you'll say later, the carnal mind is enmity with God. But that's not what we have as believers. We have the mind of Christ. Our mind is to be renewed as we're being transformed. Now it is true that we have these physical bodies, which, which Paul calls the body of sin or the body of death. And our physical bodies do have passions that are at war with them. But as believers, we have the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome those passions, to subdue the flesh, to bring it under us so that we don't have to obey it. The carnal man can't do that. He must follow his passions. The Christian can say, I feel this urge, but I have no need to satisfy it. I can, I can put that beneath me. Now, we'll, we'll not be through with that part of the battle until we die and the physical body, the body of sin, is laid in the dirt. As Paul says, who shall free me from the body of this death? He's, he's longing for it. And then when Christ returns, we're going to have glorified bodies where the souls of just men made perfect are reunited with glorified bodies. And all of this is taken care of. But even now, we can, to use the language of Paul, live to God. We can now, because we have been raised to walk in newness of life. That's not talking about resurrection someday. That's talking about now. 
You, you Right now, you've been raised with Christ to walk now in newness of life with Him now. The flesh might war. That's why he says in Galatians 5, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. They're opposed to one another. The person who has the Spirit can put all of that behind him and he is not bound by that. Again, how have we been delivered? In and through the death of Christ. He, the death he died, as Paul said, he died to sin. If we've been crucified with Him, we're dead to sin as well. He says, therefore, consider yourselves dead to sin. Think that way. I'm dead to sin. I don't have to obey its passions. I don't have to, I don't have to follow the lusts of my flesh. So Christ has set us free from bondage to sin. Christ has set us free from bondage to Satan. Having died to sin through the death of Christ, Satan no longer has hooks in us. And I would qualify that by saying any more than we allow him to have those hooks. We go back to that passage in 1 Peter. 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9. He's, he's writing to Christians. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He doesn't say, well, you're Christians now, so the devil doesn't bother you anymore. No, he's prowling around. He's wanting to devour somebody. So what does he say? Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood around or throughout the world. You see, the unregenerate man does not have faith. Therefore, he cannot resist the temptations of the devil. But the Christian has the power through faith, the power of the Spirit, to resist the devil. Now, if you look at the context of what Peter's saying there, the devil is seeking to devour men, to turn men away through suffering. The flesh says, suffering? No, no, please don't make me suffer. I don't want to suffer. We wear oven mitts. Why? Because your flesh says, Burn bad. I don't want that put on the oven mitts, right? Your flesh tells you these things ought not to be. i got to run from any type of suffering. What he's saying here is the Christian, keeping in step with the Spirit, walks by faith and is able to refuse to gratify that flesh. And therefore, the devil's temptations have no power over them. He says, stand firm. Everybody else is suffering. And you might have to suffer too. Don't let the temptation overcome you. Unregenerate men are driven by fear. Anytime suffering comes, whatever they have to do to get away from the suffering, they flee. The Christian can say, I don't have to obey my flesh. I can resist that temptation. Back in 1 Peter 4, 1 and 2, earlier he had said, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh... Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Same thing he said in Romans. The death he died, he died to sin. Therefore, consider yourselves dead to sin. Christ suffered in the flesh. Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Because we've been crucified with Christ, and we have the mind of Christ, we do not live according to the flesh. We live according to the will of God. And in light of that, Satan has no power over us. Satan takes opportunities at sin. We're not under the dominion of sin. Therefore, 
we're no longer open game to Satan's devices, ellipsis, any more than we allow ourselves to be open through sin. But when we sin, we're acting contrary to the Spirit of Christ. We're actually being, when we sin, we're being what we are not and opening ourselves up to this dominion of Satan. But as we are in Christ, we're not under the dominion of Satan. We're dead to sin. How? Because of Christ's death and resurrection. Again, we could picture Christ being crucified on the cross, going into the tomb, coming out of the tomb on the third day, and then Satan tempting Him. No power there. Now, that would have been true prior to His death and resurrection, but here we're talking about the the fact that we've been crucified and buried and died and raised with Him. That's who we are as believers if we will walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So Christ has set us free from the bondage of Satan. And then lastly, Christ has set us free from this present world. If the dominion of sin is broken and the bondage to Satan is broken, then the ways or course of this present evil age, they're not our ways. We don't live like they live. Galatians 1.4 again, Christ gave Himself for our sins. That's atonement. To deliver us from the present evil age. Again, the old man enslaved to the corruptions which characterize the present evil age, was crucified with Christ. Therefore, this evil age has no power over us at present. As we saw last week, our citizenship, our conversation is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior. That's that's our, our citizenship, our land. At Christ's return, we will be bodily and temporally, and I say that not temporally, but according to time, rescued from the present evil age, and we will enter into or enter upon the age to come with physical bodies free of all lusts and corruptions. Our physical bodies are going to have lusts and corruptions until we die. That's a part of this this here. That's why it's got to go in the ground. So I'll close with the Apostle Paul's application of these truths rooted in that first link of the chain, which is freedom from the dominion of sin. What liberty do we have? What's Christian liberty? Here's what Paul says in Romans 6, 12 to 14. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members. Members of what? Members of your mortal body. To sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness, for sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. What is Christian liberty? Well, we have the liberty, or we're free to give sin no power to our mortal bodies. We're free to disobey the passions of our mortal bodies. You are free when the alarm clock goes off early in the morning, and your body says, I want to stay right here. You're free to not listen. You're free to get up, to go spend time with the Lord. We're liberated from presenting the members of our bodies as instruments to unrighteousness. We're free from presenting the members of our bodies, or we're free to present the members of our bodies to God for righteous deeds. You are at liberty to do that as a Christian. You're free to offer yourself to God at any moment of every day of your life until you die as as a servant of righteousness. You've been set free. You can do that. Nobody's going to stop you. 
Romans 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. What is Christian liberty? Well, we're, we're free, again, to present our bodies as a living sacrifice to God. You can do that all you want, all day long. He's not going to stop you. We're freed from being conformed to this age. You're liberated from that. You don't have to go the way they go. You don't have to go that course. We're free to have our minds renewed anytime we want. All day, every day, all you can get. And we are free to discern the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. And we are free to do the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. That's Christian liberty. I've been set free. I don't have to follow my lusts. I don't have to obey the passions of my flesh. I can actually do what God commands me to do. Even when there's a war within me, I can do that. That's Christian liberty. So let's close in prayer, and then we'll stand and sing together.